in the birth narratives of Jesus this morning, we're going to be thinking about Joseph. And uh, before we do that, at the beginning of this message, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, great are you to us in so many ways that we see and in so many ways that we can only imagine because we do not see them, Father. They happen behind our imagination. They happen behind our, uh, our, our consciousness. But we acknowledge that it takes more than what we know for us to be sustained in this life. Everything is sustained by Your Word. Everything, Father, finds its purpose, its meaning, its, its very existence in You. And so our prayer this morning, Father, is that we can be drawn closer to You. That, that our eyes be, be sharpened, that there be a, a, a spiritual clarity that comes into our vision for all of life, Father, and what we see every day in order to bring glory to You, in order, Father, to, to, to live in, in a way that brings honor to all of the greatness of these blessings that You have brought to bear in our life. And so we pray, Father, as we study this Word this morning, that You give us eyes that see and ears that hear, and that we be changed by them, Father, in such a way that we truly and significantly and profoundly and genuinely become more like Your Son Jesus in all that we do. And we pray it in Christ's name. And all the church said, You know, I, I, I think that... Uh, if Joseph were standing close by this morning, I uh, personally, but I probably in the name of all preachers, would need to apologize to him. The reason is that I think that we preachers do a disservice to Joseph. Joseph gets shortchanged in the whole story of Jesus' birth. He is basically, in a lot of people's minds, a conveyance. He gets Mary from one place to another and gets her out of the country and then back into Israel. He is a conveyance. And it seems that because Joseph basically disappears from the pages of the Gospel rather quickly, folks have wanted to try to kill him off. There is a legend that has grown up around Joseph that he was this old, old, old man. He was an old confirmed bachelor or a widower. That during this period of time in Israel's history that these old righteous bachelors, these old righteous widowers, that if there was a, a young woman that at birth had been dedicated to the temple, that after she had come into uh, her womanhood and could no longer be in the service of the temple itself because of her uncleanness, but she was still dedicated to God that she needed to be married off to one of these old bachelors, to one of these old widowers who were considered righteous. It's a legend. The Bible doesn't really tell us much about Joseph except that, you know, he, he is treated as this by us as this insignificant character. And, and the truth of the matter is we don't really have a lot of clue as to why Joseph disappears from the pages of the Gospel after about Jesus' 12th birthday. And maybe he did die. But what it is that we know from Scripture about Joseph needs to be told. Joseph's story needs to be told. You see, 
Jesus is, has, has come into Mary's life in a rather unique way. Mary has received Jesus into her life in a way that no one will ever experience. But Jesus is also about to come into Joseph's life, and Joseph is going to, to call him son. But when we meet Joseph in the pages of Scripture, he is at a crossroads. He is sort of standing on a cliff deciding what it is that he's going to do about Mary. Jesus is coming into Joseph's life, but Joseph is about to take Christ out of his life. Now, although Mary is more than a fiancé, she has become his legal wife, they are not cohabitating with each other. You see, the tradition was during this period of time in Israel that there would be all kinds of things that would happen that would bring these engaged, betrothed couples together. She was more than a fiancé. She was, she was his legal wife. But there was a point in which she would go back to her father's house after all of the ceremonies had taken place and they had, they had signed all of the documents that needed to be signed. She would go back to her father's house. He would go back to his father's house. And for maybe a year or so, on average, he would build a room or a structure onto his own father's house. And then when his father said, it's time for you to go and get your bride, he would go and get Mary, or if it was just anybody, he would go and get his bride and bring her back to the father's house. It's the same imagery that, that Jesus uses when he says, you know, in my father's house there are many rooms and I go away, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be where I am so that we can be together. The imagery is first century marriage in, in the Jewish ancient world. And so... Joseph is at that place where he's, he's preparing a place for her. And while he is away, while they are not cohabitating, word comes to him that Mary is pregnant. And Joseph knows that she is pregnant by someone who is not Joseph. And Matthew says that Joseph is righteous, which means, like it does for most of the people in the Bible, that he will struggle with what is precisely the right thing to do according to Scripture. Now, Deuteronomy 22 says that she needs to be stoned, the man that committed adultery as well. But the Jewish people are not really in charge of their own country at this time. Rome is on top of them. It's Rome that has the last word. And the Romans kind of had this dim view of capital punishment. The Romans would not allow the Jews to do that sort of thing, although it would happen from time to time. But here's the thing. Although marriage during this period of time was not between a husband and a wife in terms of support and comfort, uh, generally speaking, there were times when it was for love. And I think that this is part of what's going on with Joseph. That he's righteous, he wants to do what it is that God wants him to do. But here's the thing, I think that Joseph loved Mary. He did not want to expose her to public, public disgrace. Now make no moans about it, Mary is disgraced in the eyes of the community. She is pregnant. She is disgraced, but Joseph loves her. And he doesn't want to make it worse than it already is, if that is possible. And so he decides on this action, he will divorce her quietly. And it's at this point in the story and in his life that things completely change. Now, isn't it interesting that when we read the Bible from, from, from the beginning, Genesis all the way to the maps, these Josephs always have these dreams. You remember back in Joseph, Joseph who is, who is a, a famous patriarch, he has these dreams that get him in trouble with his brothers. Our Joseph here in Matthew's Gospel has four dreams. And they change his life. 
Dream 1 is found in Matthew chapter 1. It's a passage that, that Justin has just read to us, verses 18 through 25. There is this angel that comes to him one night in a dream. Joseph is struggling with what do you do? What do you do when you find out that this woman that you love is pregnant by somebody who is not you, her husband? He's struggling. And the angel says to him, don't be afraid. It is a fearful thing to decide the fate of another person. He says, don't be afraid. You take Mary as your wife. What is in her, this baby, this, this pregnancy, it is through the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we just run over, we don't really think much about, the angel says, you're not going to name him. You are to give him the name Jesus. That's the name we are telling you to give him. And the reason is, is because this name signifies what he will be doing. He will save his people from their sins. And that's what Joseph does. He goes, he brings Mary into his home. We don't know how much time passes while they're still in Nazareth, but the first verse of Matthew chapter 2 says that Mary and Joseph get to Bethlehem, and it's there that Jesus is born. It's also during this period of time that the wise men appear and they alert Herod to the baby's birth, which leads to dream number 2. The 13th verse of Matthew chapter 2, the angel comes. But notice, this time he doesn't say to Joseph, don't, he says, don't be afraid. He doesn't say that. Strange. But what he does say is, is very fearful. He says, get up and take the family to Egypt. Herod is trying to kill the child. Now, I don't know about you, but the best time to sleep is what time during the day? The night. And it says that after the angel departs in this dream, he got up in the middle of the night. That's when he was sleeping. In the night, he gets up after the dream and he takes the family. He heads to Egypt, probably supporting themselves on the gold that has come to them from the wise men. And there they live, verse 19, until the death of Herod, dream number 3. An angel appears to Joseph in a dream and once again tells him that you need to take the mother, you need to grab Mary, you need to grab Jesus, you can return to Israel now. He gathers everything together, they load up the U-Haul, they head back to Israel. But then he hears that Archelaus, Archelaus is, is every bit as bad as Herod, maybe even worse. And one night, as they're on the side of the road, Joseph has dream number 4, verses 22 and 23. He's fearful of Archelaus, who has taken over for Herod, but he's warned in a dream to go north to the district of Galilee. I don't think that Joseph ever thought that he would find himself living in Egypt one day. Or that he would find himself uh, at the end of a search warrant as they're looking for his son. Or that he would have a series of dreams that would tell him to do some things that were completely out of his comfort zone. If there is one word that describes Joseph in my mind, it's courage. It's courage. You know, courage and the life of faith are not always comfortable with each other, are they? You know, when I first started into ministry, I dreamed of doing great things. I dreamed of the great things that I would do for God, that I would do in foreign countries. And there were nights when I would lay in Edward's dorm there at Abilene Christian, and I would fantasize as I laid in my dorm room of coming face to face with the enemies of God and wondering what it would be like to give my life for God. I would, I would hear Jesus asking me, are you willing to drink from the cup that I drink from? 
Are you able? Are you able? I could just picture myself being boiled in a pot somewhere in the world. Or being frozen to death. Or being made to stand before this gray pockmarked wall at dawn. I would hear somebody ask, because I'm blindfolded, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Deny Him and live. I would say, I believe. Do your worst. Ready, aim, fire, flags at half-mast. The women would be crying, maybe a word or two in the Christian Chronicle. A monument would be erected. Here is where Mark gave his life. People would come from all over, people of faith, to see where old Mark gave his life. They would come with their camera phones. They would stand, you know, they would stand near the place. They would say to their children with those iPhones, they'd say, stand over next to it, Billy. I'll get your picture next to where old Mark gave his life. Are you able? Are you able? Sure. Bring it on. Now, this kind of thing was not foreign from the thinking of Jesus. Jesus would talk about this crisis that would come to the people of faith. John records the words of Jesus in John 16 where he says, One day they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you, when anyone who kills you will think that he's offering a service to God. The time will come, church, when they'll drag you out of the synagogue and in the name of God, in the name of God, they will kill you. I remember hearing many years ago about a former president from one of our Christian universities who in the early years of his life, in his early years of ministry, he was fired from a preaching job. Wasn't all that unusual. Preachers get fired, hired all the time. But this one had a particular spin to it. He was preaching for a church in the Deep South decades ago. And he brought a black man into the church to baptize him. He had brought a black man into a white church to baptize him. And the members of that church told him that if he brought the black man into the white church and baptized him, they would fire him. Well, he baptized him, and they fired him. No more job, no more paycheck. I wish my own record in such a crisis was unblemished. A few years ago, on a cold and windy day, I was hurrying to a, many years ago, hurrying to an appointment when I saw a young man uh, disheveled. Shirt wasn't tucked in except about half of it. Hair was all over the place. He was on the corner of the access road in that city selling the city's newspapers for about 50 cents. I imagine he had to sell a lot of them to be able to support himself. But as I got closer, I could tell that he was a young man who probably struggled emotionally and intellectually, probably did not live by himself. And as I got a little bit closer, I saw that he was standing out there in the cold and in the wind, and he had, had soiled the front of his blue jeans. There was, there was no missing it. 
and I drove right on by because I don't like complications. And as I was driving by, I remembered something that Jesus said about doing charity to the least of these is like doing charity to whom, church? And about a half a block down that access road, I could have sworn that I heard a cock crow. Are you able indeed? Are you able? One of the things that Joseph, I think, teaches me and teaches us is that it takes courage. That courage is essential to being a disciple of Jesus. Courage is essential to being a disciple of Jesus. It takes as much courage to live for the Christ as it does to die for Him. Courage is essential. And I'll give you two reasons why. Number one, you need courage because as a believer you're going to take hits. You're just going to find that you're going to take hits from time to time. Joseph knew that Mary would be marginalized in that culture for the pregnancy. And if Joseph is going to be obedient to God and he marries her, then that disgrace in that community, right or wrong in their eyes, is going to pass, it's going to come, it's going to be transferred to him as well. And the only way that he gets out of the hassle, the only way that he gets out of that complication is if he goes ahead and he divorces her quietly. But Joseph is going to take hits if he is to bring this child into his life. And that is true for every believer. Paul, who knew what it was like to take hits for the kingdom of God, said to the church in Corinth, we preach Christ crucified. That's a stumbling block to Jewish people. And it's foolishness to Gentiles. I remember once uh, we were down in Brazil as missionaries. We were at a, uh, because we were in the capital city, we would have run-ins from time to time with people at the embassies. And, and, and both from, a, a, you know, from an American and a Brazilian standpoint, you know, dignitary types. And I remember one time we were, we were at a function and, and uh, uh, a, a young Brazilian man, uh, young to me now, he's probably middle-aged at that point, he goes, oh, you're an American. I say, yes, I am. He goes, are you, with the, are, you a, uh, are, are you an embassador? Are you with the embassy? And I said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not with the State Department. He goes, oh, oh, well, you must be here uh, as a businessman, international business. That must be your thing. He said, oh, no, I don't know anything about business at all. Just look at my checkbook. And he got this funny look on his face, and he said, why exactly are you living in my country then? And I said, I'm a missionary. I'm a minister for the Church of Christ in this city. And thinking that I might be somebody important that he might want to have a contact and network with because I was either with the embassy or I was with some big firm, all of a sudden his eyes, his eagerness to know me turned to disdain. You need courage. You need courage to live as a disciple. And then the second thing, and we'll close right here, you need courage to enter the adventure, to enter the adventure of His Lordship. Things happen that you don't expect when Jesus is the Lord of your life. There are things, there, there are routes that, that change. There are directions that, 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 that are changed in your life. Because 
you name Jesus as the Lord of your life. We don't mention much the naming of Jesus in the birth story. Sort of a, a side point at best. It's just a piece of trivia. You know, to name means that you own it. Joseph is, is not going to be the one who picks the name. This name is going to be picked for him. He's just going to be the conveyance of this name at the circumcision. Parents naming kids. It's important business, right? This kid is ours. This kid represents something. I remember when Cody and Christy first moved to, to San Antonio to work with our youth. They were about to have their first child. Cody comes into the office I said, I need to talk to you about something important. He goes, what is it? I said, I need to know if you've got a name for this son. And he goes, well, and you know how these parents can be. Sometimes you say the name of the kid and people don't like it very much and they let you know and it kind of, you know, it kind of ruins it a little bit. He said, well, you know, that's kind of, you know, Christy and I were thinking about it. I said, well, you know, if you get stuck, I've got a suggestion. And he goes, really? He has a smile on his face. I said, yeah, do you want it? He goes, yeah. I said, are you willing to pay for it? He goes, no. I said, well, I'll give it to you for free. If Ellen and I had another kid, and she didn't name it, but I did, this is the name this kid would have. Gunny. As in gunnery, sorry. Gunny. I know what a great name. Oh, that's a great name for a kid. It's masculine. It's and Cody looked at me and said, well, I don't know. I think we're going to... I'll confer with Christy on this a little bit. <laughs> that was perfectly permissible because I don't own his son. I have no authority over his son. Cody, the father, Christy is the mom. They have the authority. They're the ones that name him Braden. Joseph, when you get right down to it, is not going to have authority over this child. This child is going to have authority over him. And did you notice that there is no hesitancy in Joseph's obedience? He doesn't deliberate. He's told to do something, and he gets up and he does it in the middle of the night. He's told, you need to do something that's going to cause some issues for you probably in the culture, but he gets up and he does it anyway. He takes Mary as his wife. He ends up in Egypt. He ends up at the end of a death warrant you know, with his son Jesus and his wife Mary, and he ends up living in places he never imagined. There is no hesitancy to his obedience. He is courageous. And so what this means is that Joseph, Joseph is not just this little side point. He's not just the interesting point on how Mary got to Bethlehem and where Jesus was born out. He ended up, he's not a point of conveyance. He's not details on conveyance. Joseph, Joseph, at the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, at the very beginning of Matthew's Gospel, becomes the prototype of what it means to be a disciple. You read through the rest of Matthew's Gospel, it's about discipleship. It's about hearing the Word of God in such a way that it comes all the way down into your heart and changes you. 
not just changes the way that you feel or think about God or your relationship with Him, but changes everything about you and the way that you conduct yourself, the direction of your life. It changes everything, and Joseph becomes the prototype. He becomes the lens through which we read the rest of the Gospel. Because if we get Joseph... If we get what Joseph means, if we understand the importance and the purpose of Joseph in this story, he's the one who obeys unflinchingly. He is the one who has committed himself to being righteous in doing whatever it is that God wills for his life. If we get Joseph, then the rest of the book becomes understandable to us. That it's about hearing and doing. That it's not just about knowing, but it's about becoming. That it's not about deliberating over what seems to be wise or what seems to make sense at this point in my life as I get ready you know, to make changes or to do things or I enter into different phases of my life. But when the Word of God comes and I hear it, even in the middle of the night, and even if those, the, the crisis, the complications, the hassles begin to rise up, then without hesitation, I get up and I do it. At whatever cost it may be to me. Even if it means that I become forgotten in the history of faith somehow. In doing God's will. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. Some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. And maybe you haven't been living your life as a disciple, like Joseph, unflinchingly observant of everything that God says to you and doing it with all of your might, without hesitation, in full faith, doing it according to His will. We can help with you this morning with that in terms of prayer and counsel and encouragement and and helping you to, to get your feet on that path that path of obedience, that, that, path, that path of God's Word being fulfilled in your own life day by day. Or maybe it all begins for you this morning by hearing what it is that God is saying to you through His Son Jesus. That He loves us enough to send His only Son to take on all of our sin, all of our crime, all of our guilt, all of our terrible thoughts, our bad intentions, our, our, our horrible attitudes at times, all of our mistakes in relationships, to take all of that stuff that makes us guilty in all of the universe, to take that upon Himself so that I, that I can find and you can find forgiveness and relationship with God once again. It's that simple. It starts with the decision that you're going to live your life in a different direction, in the direction of God's will, not in the direction of your own will. That's what gets us into trouble. And then through faith in Christ Jesus, to have our sins washed away in baptism, to confess that He really is Lord of our life, a life that we need to live courageously day by day, and to find ourselves in that courageous decision to live courageously according to God's design to enter into that adventure. The adventure that takes place inside of us as we're being transformed and that adventure that takes place on the outside of us as God puts us in different places to do His will and to bring glory to Him and to see His presence every day. 
And if that describes you this morning, then all you have to do is come down to the front and talk to one of these shepherds about what is next as we stand and sing together. Joy to the world, the Lord is come.